Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Brave Church Podcast, and thanks for listening. At the end of this talk, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook or Instagram, where you can get even more connected to what's going on in our community. But most importantly, we hope the following talk inspires you to take your next step in finding or following Jesus. All right, well, uh, welcome to Christmas Sunday at Brave. We're really glad you're here. And uh, if you're just joining us, last weekend we started a series called Miracles. And so today, I want to begin by asking you a very important question. Are you a believer? Do you believe in Santa Claus? The three stages of a man's life. I believe in Santa Claus. I don't believe in Santa Claus. I am Santa Claus. <laughs> and so whether you believe in Santa Claus or not, we're really glad that you're here. Welcome. This is a season for Christmas miracles. Over the years, what I've done is I've named my miracles so that I can remember them. So I have uh, the miracle on G Street, the FedEx miracle, I'll never forget that one, the Applebee's miracle, the Shriners miracle, the healing of Isaac miracle, uh, the groceries on our front porch miracle, uh, and lately the most important miracle of all, the miracle of memory. I am so grateful for that. Uh, true story, I was in the Sacramento airport, I was flying down to Burbank uh, one day, and I heard over announcement over the PA, it said, if you were just on flight 1862, you left your book on the plane entitled, How to Improve Your Memory. <laughs> Please return, true story, Please return to gate A14 to pick up your book. You forgot it, right? (laughs) You know, miracles are a fascinating subject. Wouldn't you agree? And the truth is, is we all could use a miracle, whether it's related to our uh, family, our career, or our health. And life, you know, stuff just happens. Challenges come our way. That's the way life is. And how we face those challenges says a lot about our faith. So some of you, you might know exactly. You came in here, your heart is heavy. You know exactly the miracle that you need in your family or career or in your life. Others of you are thinking, man, life's really good right now. Nothing immediately comes to mind. But no matter who you are in your family or in your career or certainly in our nation, we could all use some help. And so a lot of us are thinking, you know, hey, God, could I get a little help down here? You know, have you ever wondered how does someone get a miracle and why them? Is there a class on how to get a miracle? Uh, After all, there's classes on just about everything else. I looked up online. Home Depot is offering classes right now. It's not too late. Uh, Making a lighted holiday sign for your front yard. Uh, They also have a class on how to paint a wall. Like if you're just like dumb, I guess, you know, like, how do I paint a wall? I don't know. You know, it's like uh, the Apple store. We're here to encourage you, by the way. Um, the, uh, the Apple store is offering classes on how do I do more than call people with my phone or how do I do more than tell time with my watch? Kaiser is offering classes on pregnancy, diabetes, how to help a healthy spine, uh, weight management, which will all be in that class here in about a week. Um, there's just a class for just about every subject that you can think of, so why not on miracles? So today I want to teach on the five phases of a miracle. And tomorrow night on Christmas Eve, uh, Samuel and I in all three gatherings are going to teach part three on the miracle series. And then later that night, we're going to turn water into wine. 
It's going to be great. Seriously, uh, we are going to have communion, and we're going to have candle lighting and music. It's going to be an incredible time. I hope that you're planning on joining us. But let's start by reading a very familiar story about a young woman named Mary who had this unusual encounter followed by an opportunity to believe in and to participate in a miracle. It's one of the most significant miracles in all of world history. And as you can imagine, uh, being told that you're the first virgin uh, to give birth and that your child would be the savior of the world, uh, that's a bit much to take in. I I know that most mothers believe that their child is a world changer, but Mary's actually was, you know? And so we pick up in Luke chapter one, an angel has been talking with Mary about all of this. I love this verse, verse, verse 29. Uh, it says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. <laughs> That's so great. Just keeping it real, Mary. All right, verse 30. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to, to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And she answers, well, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin, right? And then the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And I am the Lord's servant, she responded, which is great. And then she says, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. And at that time, Mary got ready and she hurried down to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby like leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. The five phases of a miracle. Each phase has one word, and the first phase, number one, is promise. Every miracle starts with a need and a promise. There are over 7,000 promises in the Bible. One of the most well-known stories of a nation receiving a promise was when the people of God journeyed through the wilderness and entered into the promised land. And God said, I have promised you this land, but he said, you have to go in and you have to occupy it. You have to possess it. Now, Tracy and I love Hallmark movies, and there are only two plots to any Hallmark movie. They all open with an aerial shot of New York City and then some happy music in the background. There's a panoramic zoom-in shot that then comes down onto a very busy street, and you will always see the star of the movie walking towards a food truck to get coffee or a hot dog stand, okay? And then they'll enter into a sky-rise office building, and there you'll find a very super busy man or woman who's really striving to make it in their career. And then something happens where they must leave their hectic city life and return home to the small town that they once left to make it big. Now, if this is a busy woman plot, she usually gets a surprise letter from an attorney that says, you just inherited your grandma's 6,000 square foot Victorian Christmas home that's already pre-decorated in a small, quaint country town nestled below the snow-capped mountains, right? Now, if it's plot two, 
it's her family farm and it's about to go under. When she arrives, there is a drop-dead, gorgeous, good-looking hunk of a man that's working there. But he isn't as unsuccessful as he appears. He's always secretly wealthy, and he owns the downtown coffee shop. But she has to go back home to receive her promise. And there she finds out that there are some conditions to possessing her inheritance. She's planning to get in and get out, but then she's talked into everybody in the town, oh, please stay for our annual Christmas festival. (laughs) She must do this to be there long enough to fall in love with the weirdly handsome guy who happens to be her ex-boyfriend from high school. In other words... The home or the farm is yours. It's been promised to you, but you have to come in and you have to occupy it. Likewise, God's promises, promises that we have that are available to us, we must occupy or possess them in the way that you do that. Every promised miracle is possessed by our faith. Faith pleases God because it shows him that we trust him, that we believe in him. And so Mary... She's heard this promise of a miracle virgin birth. Can you imagine that? And then she begins this long process of learning to wait on God. And so phase one is the promise. Phase two is patience. There always seems to be a delay from when you need a miracle and when we receive one. And because by definition, a miracle is something that only God can do, we have to wait for him. Isaiah 64, verse 4, it says, For since the world began, no ear has heard, no eye has seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him. In Ecclesiastes 3, it says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. There's a right time for everything. And so Mary, along with her people, had been waiting for a very long time for a miracle. They'd been waiting for the Messiah, for salvation, for deliverance to come to her people. Now, if, you're, if a miracle were a Christmas story, instead of it saying assembly required, it would say waiting required. Mary, her parents, her grandparents, her great-grandparents, and her entire nation had been waiting on God for deliverance. In fact, from the book of Malachi in the Old Testament all the way to Matthew in the New Testament is over 400 years. Most of us cannot wait four minutes for a microwave. We can't wait 40 minutes in line, 40 days, let alone 40 years or more. And yet every miracle involves patience, a period of waiting. Jesus waited until Lazarus was dead, until it looked like it was a hopeless situation, and then he raises him from the dead. God anoints David as a shepherd boy, and then David waited 15 years before he actually became king. When Moses fled into the desert, into the wilderness, God could have spoken from a burning bush within days and sent him right back in to deliver his people. Instead, he waited 40 years in the desert. Joseph, he could have spent one year in prison. After all, it was a trumped up charge, but instead he sends 10 years in prison and then the promotion finally came. What is the miracle that you're hoping for? What are you waiting patiently for? Think about your own prayers, what you've prayed, those personal prayers about your career, about your future, about relationships, about your needs and your family. And while you wait, you may begin to wonder, like Mary did, she, 
you know, had to think, you know, is, is this real? Am, am, I, am I really pregnant? I think every new mom goes, am I, am I really pregnant? I think I'm pregnant. I mean, there was no like, you know, do-it-yourself pregnancy test that you could do back then. You, you had to do everything the old-fashioned way, and she had to wait. I'm developing a bulge. I think maybe I'm pregnant. I think I feel something. Miracles in the making are that way because we're not always sure they're happening. They're not humanly possible. And so Mary had to wait on the Lord. Am I pregnant? Then she had to wait for nine months to know for certain, is this going to be a boy or a girl? If he's a boy, well, then, you know, maybe he really is the Messiah, right? But if, if it's a girl, I mean, I would be very happy about that. But maybe I just dreamed all of this up. Maybe I thought I had an angel talking to me. And why did we have to announce this so early? You know, and like, well, what if I miscarriage? And what will Joseph think? You know, he's got to believe in me and that, that I'm trustworthy. Mary was carrying a miracle within her. The womb is the place of waiting, where miracles are formed, where we wait patiently for what you feel like is promised. It's when you call those things that are not as though they were. In Romans 4, it says that God calls life to the dead things, as, and he calls those things that are not as though they were. Can you see in faith something before it happens? Are you able to conceive in your heart and mind the potential of what God may want to do in your life before he does it? That's called faith, having eyes of faith. Athletes, they run uh, routes, they throw the ball, they catch, they visualize all of these movements over and over again with repetition, day in and day out, learning to visualize what they're hoping will happen on game day. You see, faith and patience, they go together. So how well do you handle the waiting rooms of life? Are you good at that? Typically, there are two or three things that I can think of right off the top that happen in my life when I'm waiting for a miracle. If I'm waiting a long time, eventually doubt. Can we begin or do we begin to doubt when there's a long delay? It, we begin to wonder, like Mary who said in verse 34, well, how will this be again? How, how can this be? Or despair. Uh, another response to waiting. When we've waited for so long, you just, you just feel like giving up. You're tempted to, to think, you know, will this ever really happen? Did, did I really hear from God? Is this true? And that's when we start to feel hopeless and we become impatient. And that's when we take the third thing into our own hands. And that's called a big detour. A detour is when you need a miracle and you try to help God out. Patience is one of the most difficult steps in waiting on a miracle. Patience is being content with God's agenda, and at peace with God's pace. The five phases of a miracle, promise, patience, and then one of the most surprising things about a miracle is number three, participation. There's a great story in the Bible about a group of guys, buddies, that they hear about Jesus, they hear about the miracles, and they decide, you know what, let's take our friend who's paralyzed and let's carry him down to the house where Jesus is. So they get him on a mat, and they carry him, four guys, they carry him all the way through the village, they get to the house, and it's discouraging because the house is literally full with, filled with people, and a big crowd has gathered outside of the house, I guess people need, needing miracles as well. And the guys are there, and they brought him all the way there, and at that moment, they could have thought, you know what, hey, buddy, man, I'm so sorry, you know, like we, we really tried. But they decide instead, we can do more. 
we can give more. And so they pick him up, they carry him up on a roof, they cut a hole out, and they lower their friend down in front of Jesus. And instantly, these four friends literally saw a miracle happen because they were willing to participate in making it happen. They gave, and then they gave more. They didn't give up. The scripture says that faith without works is dead. It's just useless. It's one thing to say, I believe. It's another thing to act like I believe. And you see, these miracles require God. We need God to act, but oftentimes the way that miracles are delivered is through you and I in one another's life. I love these four friends. For the rest of their lives, they're telling their kids and their grandkids, we were part of a miracle. Man, I felt like giving up. That dude was so heavy to carry. You know, and then, you know, John decides to cut a hole in the roof. Are you kidding me? I was like, that's so crazy. Who does that? But they decided to keep going. And sometimes we miss out on miracles because we aren't ready to participate or to do all we could for someone else. Mary's response was, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. What was Mary saying? She was saying, I'm willing to participate. God, you can use me. I I belong to you. This is initially very humiliating to me and my relationship with Joseph, but I'm gonna trust you in all of this. So I will participate. I will do all that I can do. Miracles happen because there's a need and there's a promise. And then it usually involves waiting and there's some patience involved. And then a lot of miracles require participation. And then there's a phase that all great miracles go into. And that's phase number four. And that's called pain. One football season, I was playing defensive end and I was having the game of my life and I was flying all around the field and making tackles all over the field. I was just crushing guys, if I could say that humbly. And um, I, I was hitting them so hard that their blood was all over my jersey. It was like one of those really good football movies, you know, the ones where it's kind of black and white, and there's this guy with dirt and grime and blood all over. And I was just a beast that day. I mean, so I had done about, I don't know, 7, 10, 20, 30 tackles. I don't know how many it was. And um, the, the story gets better as I get older. But the whistle, the whistle blows, the referee calls a timeout, the coach waves me over, and I'm thinking, he's like, He's like so proud of me. He's going to congratulate me because I'm literally having the best game of my life. Instead, he says, hey, Laws, go see the doctor. You're bleeding everywhere. (laughs) It was my own blood. What I love about this story is looking back on it is I was so focused on the game. I mean, I was so locked on the mission that, uh, that even though I was in pain, I didn't even realize it. Because the game was more exciting than my bloody nose. Now, I've seen a lot of people struggle in life because they're far too focused on their own bleeding and their own pain for way too long. They stop playing. They stop three plays short and they pull themselves out of the game right in that moment because they they haven't learned the value of pain. They make their life focus about their pain rather than living the life that God's called them to live in faith. You see, the greats, they all play with pain and they play through it. And the biggest wins in life cannot be achieved without pain. So Mary had the Son of God inside of her, the Savior of the world, but she still had to go through the pain of giving birth She still had to deliver the baby. She still had to endure what was right in front of her in order to participate in God's plan to save the world. 
Some of us allow the fear of pain to shrink our lives. If we look at the life of Jesus, what we see is pain reveals value. The greater the pain, the greater the value. What Jesus did for you and I on the cross, he endured the most excruciating pain imaginable. The worst way that any human being could die. And and yet it revealed to the world for all time how truly valuable you are to God. That you were worth it. That taking on the worst pain imaginable was worth it. The writer of Hebrews says that that Jesus, because of the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He endured the pain with joy because of the greater purpose that he was living for to save us. And so to experience miracles in your life, you must be willing to endure pain and hardship for the greater purpose of your life. Study after study has shown that probably the most important characteristic that you can teach your child, or probably the most important characteristic that you can learn or need in life is one word, resilience, an ability to bounce back, the ability to keep going, because nobody goes through life with an unbroken chain of successes. Everybody has failures and flops and difficulties and setbacks. We all embarrass ourselves. Nobody goes through life perfect. And there are so many times in my life that I thought, man, I just want to, I want to give up. This is just too much. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, it says, we're pressed on every side by troubles. Anybody relate to that? We're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed and broken. We're perplexed. That word perplexed, I love that word because what it means is this, those moments in your life when you're confused. You don't know, you know, why is this happening to me? What, this happened, then this, then this. What, what is going on? Why is this happening to me? We're perplexed, but we don't give up and quit. We're attacked, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get up and we keep going. Where do you get resilience like that? Spiritual maturity is not having all the answers to life's suffering. It's learning to live with all of those questions and yet keeping your heart soft and humble. So many people, it's like, well, God didn't do what I wanted him to do when I wanted him to do. Life hasn't gone the way I want it, so I'm going to get hard and I'm going to get bitter and I'm going to get angry. How's that working for you? These challenges, rain, troubles, all of that comes on all of our lives And the pain of life wants to make you angry and to make you hard. Did you know that God never intended our loved ones to die? That wasn't his original intent. God never intended for a single child to die. God never intended for another human being to do horrible things to another human being. And so God made a way. You see, in the end, every wrong in life will be made right on judgment day. And he's provided a way of escape a way of hope for us. In fact, he says this in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on what is seen but on what is unseen, since that is what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. Mary, Mary was asked to carry 
to give birth, to feed, and to care for her son, and then give him back to God. There are mothers that have experienced miscarriages. There are mothers who have lost their child or their teenager or young adult. There are mothers who have have outlived their own children, and they know the pain of letting a child go to heaven. Mary experienced your pain firsthand, the death of the child that she raised. The death of our dreams and our visions in our life create pain. The five phases of the miracle that you need, there's a promise. It involves patience, participation, pain, and the last phase, number five, is provision. God is a way maker, and God sees our need, and he meets that need in the wisest, most loving way possible. And suddenly, you know, when you least expect it, after all these years, all these days, all these minutes, God sends us a miracle. Did you know that every time that God moves on earth and provides a miracle, it's because somebody like you is desperate enough to continue to believe? You don't have a miracle without two things. You have to have a need for one and someone believing for one. But at the end of the day, miracles are moments of divine intervention that happen while we wait for heaven. So what is the miracle that you need? It might be the decision to have faith again, to believe again, to hope again. Let hope and faith fill your heart today. This is a season for miracles. Where do you need a miracle? Do you need it in your health, in your career, in your finances, in your family, in your relationships, in your marriage? You cannot make a miracle happen in your own strength. I think we've all tried that. You know, you can't earn your way into a miracle. Hard work will not get you a miracle. Salvation is God's greatest gift, and saving faith isn't accomplished by your own strength or your own rightness or your own perfection. Faith isn't about how hard you work or what you do. It's about God's grace and undeserved favor, and the miracle that you need is all wrapped up in the gospel. The gospel is God's invitation to come back home to him. And Jesus is our way back home. His word says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The miracle that you need is a relationship with Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? And if if you wouldn't mind just to close your eyes, this is just a moment of sacredness, a holy space for you and your creator. An opportunity in these next few seconds and moments to make the most important decision of your life, a decision to say, I wanna make peace with God. I want to believe in the miracle of the virgin birth of the cross and the resurrection and all that God has done for me. This is my Christmas. This is my season. This is my time. Or in my heart of hearts, I know I want to make peace with Jesus and begin to follow him as my Lord and Savior. I'm not going to ask you to stand or come up front, but right where you're sitting, if that's in your heart to do that, just slip up your hand. Just slip it up and say, yeah, that's me. That's great. That's great. Hands all over the room. That's wonderful. I'm going to pray a prayer right now. And if you were one of those many that raised your hands, 
you can make this prayer your own. Dear God, thank you for loving me and sending your son, Jesus Christ, to earth. I confess my sins and I believe in my heart that Jesus is the son of God and was raised from the dead. I want to place my trust in you. I want to receive what you've done for me and have offered to me. Please forgive me of all my sins and become Lord of my life. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Bay Area, we would love for you to join us at a Sunday gathering in San Ramon. For directions, gathering times, or information about our Brave Kids program, visit us at brave.church. Also, if you want to help support what God is doing through Brave, you can give online to the Brave Foundation at brave.church forward slash foundation.